Podcast Starts. Hello everyone and welcome back to Now The Podcast Starts, a show which talks about horror, cinema and anything related that takes the interest of my wonderful co-hosts or myself. I'm T.D. Velasquez, but as always you can call me Dan in Greater Manchester. And today I have the pleasure of being joined by... Kirsty Warrow in Shropshire. Wonderful. And also... Stella Gaynor in Manchester. Brilliant. That's three out of four hosts. It's fantastic. <laughs> We're almost core one of these days. We might all be here. But it's wonderful yes. to have the three of us back. How are you both? Tired. <laughs> oh, dear. No, no actual genuine reason. Just not slept badly last night. So I've spent the whole day so far blaming uh, my husband, cats, <laughs> the magpies, and anything apart from uh, myself probably still being on my phone too late at night but you know what are you gonna do right all day is what you're gonna do (laughs) well it's very big of you to own up to that stella although (laughs) as long as you don't own up to it to him um and (laughs) oh no he doesn't know he still thinks it's his fault yes keeps on making me bruise it's all good (laughs) Uh, that's that's a highly functional relationship and how about you (laughs) kirsty it is um, I'm good. I'm good. This is my first official day of the summer holiday. So, yay! yay. I'm great. <laughs> so today is a good day. Yes. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. You, you know, before this recording, I said to myself, I'm definitely not going to mention the weather. But as soon as you say <laughs> it's the first day of the summer holiday, I did look out the window to see if it was a suitable day. And, well, Anyone in Britain this week, we're recording this on the Wednesday, you know what the weather is, at least in the north of England. So um, <laughs> I'm not going to talk any more about that. Um, no. But it's not the kind of weather that Clint, uh, that Cliff Richard would sing about. Um, no. <laughs> no. But it's, it's Clement. And I, I went out for a lovely walk around one of our National Trust places that's not too, near, uh, too far away this morning. Um, and it wasn't raining. And there was nobody around. Um, and so I just walked around listening to um, uh, other podcasts. That's great, isn't it? <laughs> other I podcasts think... are available. <laughs> yes, yes. We're not the only one, in case anybody thought we no. were. There are a few others. Um, yes. <laughs> I, I would say not, 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 yeah, not horror podcasts, though. So, you know, I'm, I'm being <gasps> no, no. loyal to our subject area. Just, yeah. Yes. Uh, um, so that was, that was lovely. I, I, I wouldn't uh, accuse you of cheating on us with other podcasts, bless you. Um, I do think it's one of the great technological innovations of the last 15 years, I suppose, ever since like the iPod, that it's yeah. so easy to just walk around listening to stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. One of my yeah. great hobbies used to be walking around listening to uh, Survivors, the audio version of the TV series that I told you about the other week, Stella. Mm. Because... Yeah. Somehow it didn't feel right to listen to a post-apocalyptic drama indoors. I thought the characters probably don't have the option of going under a roof, so I should be outside. And it, it really contributed to it, especially if I walked across like some kind of um, barren, mined-out quarry or, um, you know, like a, a closed-down building site or just yeah. somewhere which just looked desolate. Yeah, so... Yeah, that was you're making great. it a more immersive, mer- immersive experience for yourself. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. That's yeah. what I think is yeah, and you know, that's the advantage of being able to carry entertainment around and yes, yeah. uh, and listening to audio uh, stories that allow you to 
craft the pictures in your mind and feel like you're there yeah. and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Well, that's what I do when I listen to podcasts. I always have to do it walking. Yeah. Oh. Uh, I'd hardly ever listen to podcasts at home, sort of sat down. I always, well, I used to always listen to them on the way to and from work. But obviously, that's not a thing at the moment. <laughs> so now I go out for yeah. the walk for a duration of, of a podcast episode or two because, yeah, I... I listen to it more and I take more in when I'm walking around if I'm just sat at home I think I get a bit distracted yeah I'm the same yeah. I can't I can't just sit and listen to a story no, I, I have to it's you know yeah because I'll be on my yeah. phone and and not actually paying attention to um <laughs> your family yeah, yeah. <laughs> well the story no, the story obviously I've always paid yeah. attention to my family but um I'll yeah send you the way so, around yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah that's pretty true um same with me really I the podcast my regular podcast listening has really gone down since lockdown actually because i just associate it with walking about and getting the bus and commuting in fact i've got to the point where i can walk around most bits of oldham and think and i remember which podcast i was listening to last time i was there i do that (laughs) so it's like i do that it's like a a reverse memory palace instead of having like a place (laughs) in your mind where you you place facts at the locations you actually have to physically walk around to get the memories (laughs) back so um yeah i need to somehow weaponize that and make that into a useful skill so anyway um uh that's a lot of um uh, uh, a very um long-winded introduction from us uh, listeners, this week you're going to have another Halloween review. Um, it's going to be Howard and Spider Dan and myself talking about Halloween 5 from 1999. Um, last week you had Halloween 4. This movie was uh, is one of those examples of a sequel that was thrown into production immediately because its previous film was an unexpected success. So... We thought, why not do the same thing with the podcast and put out the review of Halloween 5 straight away as well. Um, <laughs> and Stella and Kirsty and I are here at the beginning and the end to just give a bit of um, present-day context to it. So um, we normally discuss uh, news that we have from horror or from life at the start of the show. Um, Kirsty, I believe you have some news. Yes, well, I mean, this is following up, following on from the news from last week about uh, Rob Savage's feature that he's been um, putting together in um, lockdown, um, and that that will be available on Shudder, I think, on the thirty first of July, as far as I'm aware. Um, after uh, you recorded um, last week, um, it was announced that Sam Raimi um, wow. is producing. Yes, yeah. And there was initial kind of little bit of confusion on my part about whether or not it was a separate film that he was doing um, with Sam Raimi or what it was the, the, the film that he's been working on. So it's the film... It's the film that he has been working on, which is called The Host. Um, and yeah, and, and kind of, yeah, Raimi's come on board to direct it. So just in case anybody needs uh, any reminder about Sam Raimi and his relationship to horror as a producer, I'm just scanning through his uh, IMDb. Um, and it's just, it's full, uh, as a producer, it's full of, full of um, uh, horror, uh, you know, kind of stuff like the Evil, Evil Dead remake, Drag Me to Hell, 30 Days of Night, um, The Grudge 2, The Grudge. You know the the American Japanese version, etc. Um, oh, and even American Gothic. Yes, yes, So that is, yeah. So that's obviously a kind of tremendous um, 
uh, you know, kind of collaboration. Um, and yeah, and I was uh, very, it's, you know, very pleased to hear that. And that's a message from immediately going, oh my God. <laughs> um, so yeah, so hopefully, you know, when that film comes out, we'll be able to get him on um, and have a chat about it. Um, that will be wonderful. And uh, yes, absolutely. Good. Yeah. So, so that's my bit of news or development of news, obviously. That's brilliant. And Sam Raimi that's is exciting. a really appropriate collaborator for, for anyone you know, breaking into low-budget horror, really, because, yeah. I mean, yeah. anyone who's familiar with the story of how The Evil Dead was made, yeah, um, it's like the ultimate low-budget movie in, in, in yeah. that they had such a small amount of money and what they did have, they had they had to um, scrimp and, and, and campaign for. It's all um, uh, told very entertainingly in Bruce Campbell's yeah. uh, book, which is called... Um, uh, I've got it in front of me, um, but I, I don't have my glasses on, so the title took a minute to come into focus. Um, it's called "If Chins Could Kill." Um, oh, of course, yeah. Bruce Campbell's autobiography, and uh, yeah, it's it's really great. And obviously, based on the success of that, Raimi went on to have quite a varied directing career. But um, he's always gone back to horror, and also he and Robert Tappert, um, their production company. Uh, well, I think it's two different production companies. I think there's the TV side of it, which did things like American Gothic and Xena Warrior mm. Princess. Yeah. Um, but also um, Sam and, I think, Tappert and possibly Robert Zemeckis, although I'm not sure. Um, they had a, an outfit called Ghost House Pictures, which is where the Grudge remake came from. Um, I, I don't know if that um, imprint... Uh, that's a publishing term. I don't know if that kind of banner um, still yeah. exists, but obviously Raimi is still active um, in producing horror movies, so that's yeah. stunning. And um, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. it's exactly the person you want to work with, really, if you want to break into low budget horror. Um, so, what a great move on Rob's part! Fantastic news. Yeah. Um, Speaking of low-budget horror and new filmmakers, um, I have a bit of news, uh, which is that um, this week uh, Grimfest has started announcing its lineup for the October festival. Um, for this year, every year in October, they have a four-day festival. This year, it's going to be remote um, due to the pandemic. Um, so, you, and I, that essentially. In terms of the, how much you pay, I think it's largely the same. You can either pay for a ticket to the whole event or you can just buy individual tickets to individual movies, um, but you watch them online and there will also be some panels um, mm. with some of the filmmakers and some of the stars um, that you can be privy to as well. So uh, we always like to get involved with Grimfest in some way, so I'm hoping that we'll we'll be along there. Um, it's the... F um, is it the... The 7th till the 11th of October. Um, yeah, not, that's right. Is that yeah. right? Thank you, Stella. Yeah. Um, and they are saying that the films, once you buy the ticket for them, they'll premiere, but, um, but after the premiere time, they'll stay available for a little while so that you can watch them, quote, at your leisure, unquote. Yes, at um, your leisure. <laughs> so I want to know exactly what they mean by that. How long do we get? <laughs> um, yeah. Because um, yeah. if there's some way that I uh, I don't have to get up at 
um, 8 a.m. and and do sort of 14 hours of straight horror in one day, then uh, <laughs> then I'd be intrigued by that possibility. But the lineup of movies looks fun as well. You know, um, I was it particularly does look really good. Um, my eye was caught by a, a movie. Uh, it's apparently a horror movie, but um, uh, I would summarise it as Adrian Barbeau versus Frackers. Um, that that <laughs> seems to be the plot. Um, there wasn't a lot more detail, but some kind of horror film in which um, Adrian Barbeau, the star of movies such as The Fog and Escape from New York, and the ex-wife of director John Carpenter, and possibly the best... Catwoman of all time because she was the voice of Catwoman in Batman the Animated Series um, she is in some kind of horror film where she her, her, her town is threatened by fracking or something um, I think it, I believe it's a horror film, it's not just like a documentary in which Adrian Barbo <laughs> takes on Quadrilla um, but exactly how the the, the horror and, and the kind of uh, the current political um, satire element of it works um, I'm not so sure but it does sound fun and there's a lot of other um, interesting stuff on there as well so once the um, I think at the moment that they're only allowing people to pre-book tickets for the whole event but during the towards the end of July tickets will come on sale for individual films um, so when that happens I'm going to have a good look at which ones I'd like to definitely see and um, that's yeah. all at grimfest.com and I'll put a link in the show notes for this episode. And it was actually Stella who spotted that. I didn't think they'd be announcing things this early. So thanks for that, Stella. That was a good heads up. Yeah. I think the announcement was because they finally called it and said, look, we can't do, we don't think we can do this sort of social distancing. Um, I just expect that they wouldn't sell enough tickets for them to be able to do it. Sure. So I think from the order to ensure the festival goes ahead with what it costs them. I think it's probably better to do it. Well, it clearly is better to do it as a an online um, remote event. But yeah, it, there's a lot to choose from there. And I think they've, they've sort of, I think they've dealt with the middle ground of that by saying, well, you can watch individual films then rather than having to buy a day ticket or a full ticket. So, so yeah, I think it's going to work and hopefully I'll get to watch a few of them. I'm just looking at the website here and it says there's going to be an exclusive talk with Mick Garris, so that's quite exciting. Oh, wow, okay. Um, I'll definitely try and tune in for that bit. Um, yeah, so, yeah, like you said, end of July, early August or something for individual film tickets and then we'll see what we're going to watch and maybe we can chat about them after the after the fact that's fantastic i'm looking forward to it already um yeah mick yeah. garris he's got mm -hmm. a good relationship with them i think because he's the producer yeah. of uh the masters of horror tv series among many yeah. other things um he's got a, a film career going back to the late 70s but a couple of years ago he yeah. produced uh, a move an anthology movie called nightmare cinema which was got its uk premiere at Grimfest, i think so mm. we saw that um yeah, and it and he's a really it's funny he's having seen a number of the things he's directed. I don't particularly think he's a great filmmaker, but he's an absolutely <laughs> lovely guy with a vast knowledge of um, of the genre and the and he, yeah. you know he personally knows the filmmakers because kind yeah. of any great horror movie of the late seventies um, to the end of the eighties you can think of. He was probably involved with the marketing of it because that's what he yeah. did. 
Um, and then later on, he, yeah. he he got to directing films and things. Um, so, yeah, that would be a wonderful thing to see. He's, he's a great speaker. Um, that was great. So th- um, that's our news, I think. All right, well, in that case, um, we'll hand over to myself from 2018 and and Howard and Dan talking about Halloween 5. I know some people call the film Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers, but that's not the official on-screen title of the movie. That was just on some home video releases and posters. Just to remind the listener, um, this was recorded obviously early 2018, so before the last Halloween film came out, so we might occasionally talk uh, about that movie, speculating what it could be like, um, because obviously we didn't know. We will come to talking about that film properly later in the series. And also, um, because of the time it was recorded, it was it was then... Uh, it was before Spider-Dan had his own podcast, Spider-Dan and the Secret Wars. So we don't call him Spider-Dan, we just call him Dan. Um, he'd not yet developed his secret identity. Oh no, I've just <laughs> ruined it all. Um, so. Uh, so so enjoy that, folks. Kirsty and Stella, I'll see you guys at the other end and we'll, we'll do right. some recommendations. Yep. This episode we're going to be talking about Halloween 5. I am your co-host, Dan. Uh, And I am the other co-host, Howie. And we have a special guest who's returning from our previous episodes in this series. Say hello. Hello. No, no, no. (laughs) I'm back. Hello, hello, (laughs) Danby. You know Danby is back when you hear no. No. (laughs) The Loomis no. The famous Hmm. Loomis no. (laughs) That's not all saying no. That's just Donald Pleasant. No, yes, it's just just a great performance. It is. Hello. (laughs) So the last episode we talked about 1988 Halloween Four: The Return of Michael Myers. Halloween Four was considered enough of a success at the box office in 1988, particularly the American box office for the backer Mustafa Akkad and his company Trankaz International to immediately bankroll the sequel with um, a release date of Halloween 1989. So they have less than a year to write and produce a full feature film follow-up to Halloween 4. We've all watched it recently, but Mm -hmm. what I like to do at the start of these podcasts is is let everyone describe how they first encountered the movie. Um, so we'll start with you, Dan, as you're the guest. Yes. Uh, like I said before, I was given a, kind of a bumper collection of DVDs of the Halloween franchise, kind of binge the whole thing. Um, and again, I, don't, I didn't remember it that clearly until I watched it recently. Um, Do you remember liking it? So I remember four, but then five and six. I, I, I remember that uh, Jamie Lloyd was back in five, but six I don't really remember that well at all, if at all. Um, I don't, probably don't know which version I saw either, um, but it, yeah, I remember. I, I remember kind of liking four. But I'm not. I think I started as we got further along. I started to care less and less and less about the the subsequent sequels. Um, but yeah, so I, again, saw it on a big bumper box. I think perhaps you're not the only person who started to care less and less. <laughs> at this point. Howard, how about you? Well, I, again, I don't. I think I bought Halloween four, and because I just wanted to know what happened after. You know, there's the big shock ending of that film. I, was, I probably bought Halloween Five or Amazon or something just to see how it was gonna ha- what was gonna happen. Um, how long ago was that? Then? I don't know. It was about seven or eight years. Not that long. Hmm. Right. Okay. Well, in the great scheme of things. <laughs> 
as I explained on the previous episode, I uh, binged it in 1998 when I wanted to watch, get all the previous Halloween sequels out of the way so I was ready for H2O. And again, I'd, I'd seen Halloween 4 and not really enjoyed it, but certainly had been engaged enough by some of the actors and the characters to want to know how that cliffhanger was resolved. And what we've got in Halloween 5 is uh, a strange example of a... Um, a sequel a bit like Halloween 2 in a way where it feels very closely connected to the mm. previous film a lot of the actors come back um, it's almost like the next episode yeah. in, in a series really although strangely um, totally ignores or, or changes the ending that, yeah. been, that, that changes the point that we all thought the story had got to Howard can you remember enough to sum up um, the the situation at the start of Halloween 5? Well, uh, don't I remember? <laughs> well, the shock ending of Halloween 4 is kind of... Because I, presumably, I don't know what the idea was that they were going to make... If they were going to make another film after Halloween 4, that Daniel Harris's character was going to be evil or whatever, I don't know. At the beginning of this, she's just sort of traumatised. She can't speak and, and she's in a sort of like a, an institution or something or a hospital. Because her character at the end, after being the heroine throughout Halloween 4, at the end of the film, suddenly seems to be infused by Michael's evil. Yes, it's as if evil. And if that was, if there was going to be no more films after Halloween 4, that's that's quite a powerful ending, that she evil is somehow passed kill. from one generation to the next mm-hmm. and now she's been yeah. infected by it. And it looks like she's killed her stepmother yeah. or foster mother. But um, in, in the new film, we, we, we learn that actually she's not killed her. They just tried to kill her. She's still alive. Yes. They kind of walk uh, that back. Uh, and of course, uh, Michael Myers isn't dead. He gets, before he gets shot 80, 80 times, falls down a hole. Uh, yeah, it's one of those weird... He seems to get rescued by this strange man who lives in a shack. Yes. And who spends the whole year doing exactly the same thing. He's, he's so like, he, rescue, he, he, goes, he falls through this hole and goes along a river or something. And then he gets washed up and this bloke finds him and puts him on a bed. And then it's like a year later that uh, he wakes up again or something. And yes. the man is doing exactly the same thing. Yeah. He lives a in this place later. sitting at the same... Yeah, a year later, nothing's changed. Michael Myers is... And I, I like to think, think it's odd that there's a I moment. like to think it's the preacher from the last one. He's <laughs> just like, I found the evil! And now <laughs> so, I'm yeah, 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 He's just lying there. Uh, it's it's genius, so I'm going with that. <laughs> the man doesn't seem to think it's theory. odd that this man's been asleep for a year and doesn't want to eat anything or anything like that. And he, I don't know who he is. There's no explanation of who he is or what he is or why he's there, what he's doing or anything. And then he just sort of, a, a complete plot contrivance. And he needs somebody mm. to rescue Michael Myers and he does and then but, I mean, he kills him. <laughs> What, what's interesting about the start of this film is that they begin with footage from Halloween 4 mm-hmm. from the ending, but they've filmed a couple of new shots which they insert into it, so not only is Michael Myers shot so that he then falls down a mine shaft, mm. but also the cops approach the mine shaft afterwards and drop dynamite down it, <laughs> but that doesn't kill him, what that does is blow him out of the bottom end of the mine shaft, mm. and then he falls into a river which takes him to this strange hermit guy who looks after him. I'm not sure that really speaks of a clear idea on the part of the creators Mm. where this story could go after the end of of Halloween 4. Sheriff? They want you down at the cemetery. Today in the cemetery, somebody dug up a coffin. It was a coffin of a 19-year-old girl. 
realize that she is not him. She's just a child. They know that Michael Myers is her uncle and that she attacks her stepmother. That's why they fear her, especially on Halloween. You're afraid. You're afraid the whole thing might start to happen again. How many people did he kill last year? Have you forgotten? But you never looked into his face, did you? You never saw his eyes. You never saw that nothing, no expression, blank. My memory goes back 12 years. I prayed that he would burn in hell. But in my heart, I knew that hell would not have him. Michael Myers is outside. The National Guard will take him to a maximum security facility. But he'll stay till the day he dies. Never die. And I suppose I should explain a little bit of the the backgrounds of the film. Um, because it was fast-tracked um, into production so soon after Halloween 4, most of the creat- uh, most of the production team were different. Um, I don't know if anybody who made Halloween 4 was available that quickly. Um, I imagine that the director, Dwight A. Little, was either looking for his next bigger gig or was uninterested in doing his Halloween movie because he'd just done it. So they... Um, they found a director called Dominique Othenin Girard. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm ashamed to say, and this possibly tells of that I'm slightly uninterested in this film, mm-hmm. um, I don't know too much about him. I'm assuming he's French-Canadian. Mm-hmm. And I know that he later directed um, Omen for The Awakening. Um, I, wow. didn't, I didn't know there was an Omen 4. <coughs> oh, so, I knew there was an Omen So that speaks. Straight to I've never seen it, but I know there is. I saw the third one, but I didn't see the fourth one. Well, yeah, a lot of people are in that boat. Tell you what, I haven't um, even seen the second one. <laughs> oh, I like oh, the second one. was good. There's yeah. some good deaths in the second one. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. I'll, look, I'll look that up. Is, is he the ice one? Yeah, he's the one that goes yeah. into the ice place. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, no spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, he they brought him on and he... Um, co-wrote the script. This script has got three writers credited. Shem Betterman, the He's director. Good. And um, good. most people consider him the better man. Yes. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, some people just think it's a shame. <laughs> and another writer called Matthew whose um, surname was in my head but your funny quip has made it go. Sorry. Damn um, me and my Matthew, quips. Matthew Kelly. <laughs> um, Matthew Broderick. <laughs> But they obviously wrote the script quite quickly and then the script was continued to be rewritten um, throughout the process. Mm. What I mainly do remember about this film from when I first watched it is that I preferred it to Halloween 4, actually. Really? The reason is because it, it just seemed a little bit better made. Um, I, I hear stories now, and if you watch the um, making of documentary about Halloween 5, you get a sense of this. The director was a little bit pretentious. Um, and had a certain kind of vision that maybe not everybody understood but they mm. went along with it um, and I think that probably damages the film but it also it does mean that some of the visuals are very sharp and yeah. interesting yeah. Um, and I think the cinematography in this movie is better than in 4 mm. um, the, the DP is called Robert Draper which I always thought was a good name for a cinematographer it should, should um, it has that kind of suggestion of um, artfulness yeah. about it and I think you know there, there's lots of good use of um, 
contrasting light and shade in it and things. Yeah. Um, there's also a couple of good kind of suspense moments, like um, when Michael's about to do the murder with the he kills someone with a hook at one point. Yeah, yeah. And, and um, go with the car. Yeah, and he does. In his entrance, is he starts scratching the hog along the back mm. of the car. I think that's that's quite memorable. Um, I also think Michael Myers is a more physically intimidating presence in this mm. movie. Um, he's got a different mask on. He he seems light, more live and and more threatening. Mm. Um, and there are a few kind of interesting directorial choices to do uh, strange things where you kind of see Michael Myers in the background in plain sight yeah but the camera isn't really directing you to notice it's him there's a bit where it's cam- like a blurred kind of well not even that but like there's um uh, there's a scene where two characters are walking along in the foreground i think it's Tina and somebody else and the they don't notice it and the camera doesn't do anything to make you linger on it but mm. over in the trees nearby there's like a, someone shambling around not yeah. just standing still but kind of and you think is that like a, a vagrant or something mm. But you gradually realise it's actually Michael Myers, and um, yeah, so I, I thought there are there are a few interesting things like that in it, and I was also glad to see um, Ellie Cornell return as Rachel, yeah. and Daniel Harris um, as Jamie, and Bo Star as Sheriff Meeker. Although it's the film kind of continues the the grand Halloween tradition of skimming over the sheriff's daughter being killed in the previous film <laughs> it's like Donald Pleasance has some kind of line he's like it's Halloween don't you know that he, don't you remember what happened last year when he came and killed everyone and he's like how could I forget it it was my own daughter and he's like I know and, and then they don't mention it again yeah. <laughs> but you don't have a police force <laughs> so um, yeah so those were my thoughts on my initial viewing mm. of it I mean when I watched it again more recently I found it a lot more tedious than I yeah. remembered mm. <laughs> Dan that's immediate agreement from yourself yes um, I I just think it's it's I, I'll be honest the, the second I knew it was going to be no was, right. was second the, the the two comedy policemen turn up oh yeah and the second they, they come they come kind of dawdling in there's this kind of clown music yeah, that plays. Is, uh, yeah. and it was like <laughs> and all that sort of stuff and I went this is going to be bad um, and I should say the music is, is by Alan Howarth oh, as well who, who is the only key returning creative from the previous yes, film yeah yeah it's which like the music itself is fine but why uh, he decides to add that comedy music I it's biz- I just think it's a bizarre choice and the thing is they're not Funny, <laughs> either they don't say anything. They're a bit like stu- They're a bit stupid. Like, oh, you know, oh shucks, you know. But it's nothing. Is nothing that's happening is funny. Nothing that is, mm. you know. I, I hoped it was going to be like a kind of, you know, like Beverly Hills Cop kind of, um, you know, double act where it's like, you know, you know, uh, you, you, a lot of uh, males have uh, a lot of undigested red meat in your in their bowels. And he's like, why are you telling me that? It's like, I care about you. <laughs> you know, I thought it was going to be stuff like that, but it really was just two cops talking in a car going, oh, kids. Yeah. You know, like stuff like that. Cars. And it was really just, really um, just not interesting. Every time they turned up, I thought the music was going to play. Luckily, it didn't. Oh, yeah. But still, it still didn't make it any more interesting. It made them any funnier. But again, there was nothing, they were, they, they were placed as these comedy characters, but again, they weren't 
funny. It's, there wasn't any humour going on. As a person watching it in the 90s who grew up on 90s comedy, yeah. I was struck by how much they looked like Punt and Dennis. I don't know if you remember that. <laughs> no. You, you won't know. No, 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 yeah, no, no, Punt and Dennis. Yeah. Um, Hugh Dennis is the, the dad in Outnumbered. I don't know if you've seen that. Yeah. Uh, oh, yes, of course. Yeah. The guys who do yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the now yeah. show on radio. Yeah, yeah he, was, uh, he was in uh, My Hero and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Although, actually, watching it again more recently... Yeah, he does look a bit like him, actually. Hugh Dennis guy, actually... I'm, I now realise he has a more uncanny resemblance to Aaron Eckhart. He almost looks yeah. exactly no, like No, right, him. yeah, yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, it wasn't exactly great. Uh, like, uh, And it's... it's There was there's a scene in the barn, I don't know if you remember, where, oh, yeah. where well, it's, they go to this Halloween party and they're like, and all the, all the girls are like, let's play a prank on the cops, you know, because, you know, Michael Myers and stuff. And the, the kind of... Silly character, the silly, the Spitz, I think it's called. I think it's mm. called his blonde yeah, hair right. boyfriend. Uh, and he comes out and he's like, She's like, Help me, Michael is coming. And they're like, And the cops are like, Oh, shit, shit. Uh, and then it's like, It's me. You know, it's like he's, you know, and he's like, got that really goofy laugh. Yeah. Like they seem, they, they do try to seem to up the comedy, but it's not upping the comedy, it just ups the goofiness of it all. Yeah. yeah. And it made me feel like it was more in in line with a, a Friday the 13th mm. movie because it was a bit more kind of sex heavy a lot more kind of goofy gags and weird stuff going on things that are like don't necessarily gel uh, but there's a bit in the barn where they have basically Michael appears three times um, but but every time it's a fake out mm-hmm. it's Spitz dressed as that and I'm, I was like I was like, first one, I was like, okay, that wasn't really a good, very good fake out, but fair enough. Second time, I was like, oh, it'll be him now. And then they were like, no, no, it's Spitz again. And I was like, I was like, it's two fake outs in a row, like literally back to back. And then I was like, wait, if they do a third one, you know, third, third time's a charm, third, the three rule, I thought, this will be it, this will definitely be Michael. And it was for him again. It was there was three Michael appearances. There weren't even Michael back to back where it could have been killed. And then he turns up for the fourth time. By that point, I was just like, just kill him already. <laughs> just mm. it was just it, it just screamed to me like this was just poor choices made and poor, you know, just scheduling of that. Moment. I mean, if you had different fake outs throughout the film, fair enough. But th- I already know he's in the costume. I already know he's dressed as Michael. And they're like, oh, where could he be? Where could he be? Where's my boyfriend? Nobody's been killed. We've not seen anything. Like, just annoyed me. <laughs> it yeah. frustrated me. Um, I don't blame you at all. Yeah, and yeah. and the lead girl who now I like the I like that she's a very unconventional female lead for for a horror movie because usually it's the quite you know fairly serious or you know you know, uh, quite studious, you know, quiet, shy usually until the, you know, the situation reveals itself and they reveal themselves to be a stronger person and they grow throughout that and have an arc. Um, and she was unconventional. She was a bit goofy and a bit odd and a bit, you know, eccentric. Um, but also it kind of, it got to the point where I was just like, again, what you're saying isn't particularly funny or charming. It's just like mm. gratingly annoying. It's like nails on a chalkboard. It got to the point it was like nails on a chalkboard. Um, that, that's the character of Tina, who is particularly controversial. Yeah. Character, I, think. I wonder what Rachel's hiding behind door number three. Let's talk about her in more detail when we get to the yeah, cast. I think. Um, <clears throat> Sorry, I've gone on a, a little bit of a rant. Huh? No, no, that's all right. Um, I think at this point it's um, instructive to consider 
what this movie's plot is. Mm. Because in the previous podcast, we've noted how simple the plots are. Mm. And you know that that one line from uh, Halliwell's that I mm. quoted, um, in a small Illinois town, a mad killer escaped from the asylum, that stands for Halloween, Halloween 2, Halloween 4. What's this movie's mm. one line? I have to admit, I haven't done the research and I didn't see what Halliwell wrote. No. I think he, he probably didn't even bother summing up the plot. He probably just said a further unnecessary sequel. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, that's what he'd got to do. But yeah, if you, if, you want, if you had to sum up this movie in a sentence, what would it be? Could you, could you even do that? Well, first of all, I was, uh, nice to say, um, I think there's a lot of things wrong with this film. Mm. But I do actually quite like it. Okay. okay. Uh, and I'm not quite sure why I like it. I think it is quite well shot. Mm. And I do like Daniela Harris' character. Yeah. Uh, and I do like Ellie Cornell's character. Uh, and there are some quite suspenseful... Well, first of all, the things that are wrong with it. Yeah. Uh, again, yeah, the, the, the comedy music for the two cops yeah. just, I find, bewildering yeah. what that's all about. Yeah. Uh, and also, there is the unforgivable and quite credulous decision, I think, to kill off Ellie Cornell's character. Yes, yes absolutely agree. Yeah, agree. Which even Mustafa Akkad said was a mistake. Yeah. And I kind of think, if you survive a film, if you survive a slasher film, then that gives you the right to survive Another. all the others. Yeah. Yeah. You, you sort of, to kill off a character who is, who is nice and likeable and friendly and everything, in just a casual way, Also, it's not shocking, it's just kind of gratuitous. Yeah. And Killing her in a way that has no consequence for most of the rest of the film yeah. as well. No, she just sort of disappears, yeah. and then she comes at the end. You know, that thing that serial killers always do, where they're looking bodies all around, yeah. so when you open a the door, they're there, oh, yeah, or they're up in a roof, and they'll we'll we'll, I'm sure we'll get to that bit as yeah, well. It's, uh, and it doesn't make a lot of sense. And, uh, and also, I think, and this could be my age thing as well, the idea of a 10-year-old girl being chased by a knife-wielding maniac makes you feel slightly uncomfortable. Mm. Uh, I don't think that's... I might not have minded that a few years ago, but now, yeah, when I was watching it, I didn't really mm. like that part of it very much. And um, But I did like the idea... What, I mean, what is it about Halloween 5 where that idea is um, disturbing would it, when it was acceptable in Halloween 4? Mm. Uh, I don't know. I just think it's because, because Rachel is not there to mm. sort of be with uh, Jamie. It's mainly the scene at the, um, at the farm where he's in a car going after it and she's running and right. I just think that, that yeah that's that 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 quite that's a, scary. a bit too much yeah it's quite a uh, harrowing scene I think with this one is that because Rachel is absent is it Tina is it Tina the yeah, yeah. Tina, yeah. Tina is the Wendy so, Calpin so I think because she's not as serious and as straightforward a, a, fe- a strong female lead is that you don't believe you believe that she may that Jamie may die yeah well I think as well as because Rachel is killed yeah then it's, yeah. it's possible that yeah. uh, Jamie maybe killed yeah. Yeah. Jamie doesn't exactly. have a strong protector in this movie yeah. because she's kind of on her own isn't reliable she, in that she does have her she does have her uh, her friend from the uh, the children's asylum oh, yeah. the, the one the Stuttgart boy Tommy, <laughs> Tommy is it Tommy the one with the teeth I don't think it's Tommy because no. there's already a boy called Tommy in this series yeah and he's in six as well, isn't he? Is that yes, six? Yeah, he's in six. Because I thought it was. I thought actually thought the that this boy was in six. I thought he was that that boy. Right. Um, but yeah, I I I tell you what I did like. I'd liked the the psychic connection. Yeah, I like that. I like that part of it that she could feel the evil and the presence and, and that's an interesting and visions idea. and stuff. But what I didn't what I didn't really like is the whole mutism thing. I di- I didn't really buy into that because she stops being mute halfway through for no real reason so let's explain that for the first half yeah. of the film it's about um, 
uh, Jamie is traumatised and in a hospital and mute. From and, last film. And seems to have some kind of psychic link with Michael, so she believes he's alive, mm. and she kind of knows he's alive when nobody else does. Well, Loomis and, does. <laughs> well, Loomis always thinks he's alive. <laughs> well, yes, that's true. And Loomis is trying to get information from her about where he might be and things like that. And then you, you do have a number of these quite nice scenes, I think, where they show the psychic link, like mm. Michael is doing something, yeah. Um, and Jamie finds herself acting out the motions. Yeah, feeling I love the bit where he puts the mask on and she mimes putting yeah, the mask yeah. on. That, that's just fantastic. She's such a great actress, Danny. Yeah. 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 That's, that, that's another reason I think mutism was a mistake, because she is such a fantastic mm. actress. I think to, to mute such a great actress, to, mm. to mute an actor is, you know... Sure, it can add another level to their performance and they might struggle and stuff and what have you, but I think I would have rather heard her speak mm. and communicate mm. as, as the wonderful presence that she had in the last film. Yeah. Um, and I think that was a, was a mistake. Yeah. Mm. It doesn't even go anywhere, does it? It just, it's like I say, it just stops. She is, she yeah. is mute and then she stops being mute. Yeah. After, well, so there's not, there's not much like, like if, if we saw progression of her coming out of the muteness a bit more, but it's just like, I can mm. sort of speak. And it's, but that's it and there's no real like if there was a moment where she was like Michael grabbed her and there was like yeah. a psychic transference or something I felt I like it was building up to a moment of uh, sufficient drama that she you know she really needed to scream or yeah. really to say something yeah. and I don't know if it did I can't really remember is, I, don't is it it, I don't think it no, it Tina's just, in just danger just, or anything like that I don't think I think she just starts kind of slowly speaking but there's there's not there's not enough progression of it shown and if it was like if it was like Michael that would have been that would have made more you know sense to me and it would be a lot more dramatic that the first thing she says is her uncle's name that she's not she's not been able to say a word since that would that would that has much more power than her just going oh let's run yeah. or whatever her line was that she first says properly when she gets her voice back but okay. that's just me so basically Jamie's in the hospital um, and Loomis is trying to kind of uh, divine Michael's whereabouts he's um, he's a bit rough with her isn't he uh, he is a little bit <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. little uh, tell me where he is you know you know yeah I wasn't that comfortable with that and like, also, shaking her and... there's this sense that don't you know that she's got PTSD can't speak Yes. Simple as that. <laughs> Mr. Psychiatrist. Just, just have to, to write something on a piece of paper. You know. It, it takes it takes her carer to come in and go, um, Dr. Loomis, can you leave her alone, please? <laughs> no, no, I need to know what Michael and just put her down, leave her alone. Like she's the only voice she was the only voice of reason in that psychiatric hospital. Do either of you recognise the actress who played the nurse? Because I, I feel like I knew her, but no. I don't know where from. No, no I don't really don't. know many of the people in this. Apart uh, from the ones who were yeah. in four. In the, yeah. there were, uh, and an actor called Troy Evans, who's the big plump cop who ends up getting falling out of the window oh, yeah. towards the end. He's been in loads of TV stuff I've seen him in. He, he's but good. He uh, didn't do very much, but yeah, he's good. Yeah. Um, all, the, all the younger people, Wendy Kaplan, never went on to yeah. very much, did yeah. you know anything like that? No. But there are some, there are some kind of one of the reasons I like it. Yeah, like says a lot of things wrong with it. Yeah. The ending, which we might come to later on, is... Mm. Oh, whatever that is, but there are some kind of nice. I think they're quite nice. I'm like again, again, it's a sequel. It's a Michael Myers film, so Michael Myers has got to do what the audience wants. Michael Myers, he's got to go around killing people. So everything else in the film has to be secondary to that. That has to take sort of like prime position. But there is some, for instance, when Tina thinks it's her boyfriend, it's Michael's, but 
the mask on or whatever, or pretending to be her boyfriend, mm-hmm. and he's driving along and she's talking to him. And although it's not particularly well written and, and she's a bit annoying, mm. it is quite suspenseful. Like, when is, is she going to find yeah. out? Yeah. And he's just driving along, he doesn't do anything. But that's, that was one of my favourite scenes where she, he's in that big mask, that big kind of Neanderthal mask yeah, or whatever, yeah, whatever it is, and she's touching him and being, being intimate with him, and he's just like <laughs> gripping that wheel so hard, and she's. She has no idea, but yeah. it's just. But I liked that kind of character. That was a nice kind of character moment for him because it was like, you know, he doesn't know how to respond humanly, how to respond to those mm. kind of that kind of intimacy. Maybe that says something about him. But also, I think that plays into. I remember we were talking about the playful Michael, the, the yeah, one that, that yeah. does the prank. Well, that's. I think that's probably why I liked it. it kind of reminded me of that. Yeah. He's sort of playing with. Well, is he? Is he sort of like doesn't know how to react to this? Yeah. Or does he know female? exactly what he's doing? Or does he know and he's just messing with the head and stuff? And that's kind of why I like that. I thought yeah. well, that's. Well, I think that was that, one that's more interesting yeah. than the killing. That was the one thing I felt that was missing from Halloween Four was that kind of playful. Mm. I mean, the car scratching. Mm. The car yeah. scratching is playful as well. Yeah. Right? yeah he knows. Exactly. He knows he likes the car. Mm. Like. There's there's two love scenes in this film. One of them is with a, one of them is with a car. You know, he's the guy. I can't remember. I think it's I think his name's Michael actually. The, yeah, the guy, is, yeah, the, yeah. the boyfriend, uh, and he's like lovingly like you know um, waxing the car like mm, yeah. He's like loves that car so much, and uh, and I was quite happy when he died personally. But yeah, um, yeah, but was. I love that he was like oh no. It was like it was, he, I think he screamed more when the car was damaged than when he got actually killed, um, which, which I quite which I quite like. But yeah, I, I think that that's this that's one of the things I really enjoy about this version I know it's again we're up to the goofiness and the wackiness of it but those kind of that 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 actually worked to me that bit of humour or that bit of Michael's playfulness was yeah. one of the best I think that's a good ideas of this film they're just not well executed mm. they're not kind of thought through enough and there's a scene where it's like where Donald Pleasant says to Michael you think if you kill them all the rage will go yeah. or something like that are they trying to kind of explain why Michael's doing this is it saying he's, he's got this rage and he's you know, sort of like they're addressing that mm. part of it, and it's so also, I think there's some good things, and it is. I, I do think it's well. The scenes at the farm are very well; they're very, very effective, very well filmed, and everything. Uh, I do, I do think, I do, I think this is the film, the only film where I can think that they've tried to reason mm. with Michael. Yes, like, yeah. A lot of the time, you know, Loomis will be like, "Kill him, he's evil." Da, da, da. But this is the first time, like Jamie talks to him and says, "Can I see your face?" And yeah, takes the mask a- off. Uh, which I think is a really touching moment. She's like, "Oh, you're just like me. We're the same, you know." And, and you know, it's a really touching moment. And then even Loomis is like, "You know, like you said, you think this will go away? I, we can treat you. We can make you better." You know, it's the first time I've seen them kind of address it as an actual mental health case, as opposed to just like he's evil. He's yeah, evil. Yeah. You know. Um, so I do like again. There's a lot of moments I do. I know I'm probably, you know, have maybe giving this film a hard time, but I. There are a lot of good moments in it. It's just the whole, on the whole, I think it's just not very good. No, I, I, I yeah. I kind of liked it. Well, I watched it and enjoyed mm. it, and I, and the good bits perhaps stood out. Yeah. I sort of accepted more. the bad bits. Also, um, the, the, the use of pop music is awful as well. Well, again, that so dates it. Yeah, the music so, is, And yeah. it's not, I didn't really register that, to be honest. Oh, no, there was, there's, a, there's a lot of kind of 80s, or late 80s, yeah. early 90s pop music in it. Um, I, and it's not necessarily within the party. If it was in a, within the party and they're like, you know, dancing away and stuff... But it's really grating. It's just like it's just like awful. It's not even like good pop music from that era. It's just like whatever they could afford. Right, okay. And it's just it's just like oh, you know, it's just awful. But yeah, I think it's interesting how many people die in the day. Rachel gets killed in the daytime. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In the house, and the guy, the car guy, 
Yeah, against the, the, he gets the thing, and that's in the daytime. Yeah. It's like well, Michael Myers is able to wander around in daylight, and nobody mm. could notice him. So that's yeah. what I've always that's what I've always kind of liked though, because it is set on Halloween. You could yeah. potentially and get away with that. Yeah. That is yeah. faithful to the the first film as yeah. well. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I kind of like that. I yeah, just, that, that I do that I do appreciate. Yeah, I do appreciate that. I do remember that when I first watched it, um, I did enjoy Wendy Kaplan as Tina. Mm. I know that she's quite a controversial figure and a lot of people find mm. her very annoying. Mm. Um, I can see that for two reasons. One of them is because once Rachel is killed, um, Tina just basically takes her place yeah. in the plot. And that's irritating, yeah. especially as her character is supposed to be Rachel's friend, yeah. um, but he's not even switched on enough to seem really concerned that Rachel's disappeared. Yeah, she literally goes, oh, she must be away for the weekend. Mm. Yep. That's it. Yeah, and then, and then never finds out. Yeah. Um, and, and she's... She's, I mean, I, she's I oblivious, isn't she? As a teenager, much. I responded to the fact that she's kind of like a non-conformist yeah. And, yeah. Um, and, and eccentric and has a kind of sense of life about her. Mm. But obviously it doesn't make her a very good um, protagonist, protector role yeah. when you've got mm. Jamie needing a protector and yeah. you've got an absence of Rachel in the movie. I do think there is a, a, a neat character arc, mm. though, in the sense that Tina kind of wanders through the movie kind of sometimes being stupid sometimes yeah. being willfully putting herself into danger and yeah. not listening to people's advice. That's at any, the end, surely that's any, you know, any horror protagonist, isn't it? Pretty much, in some respect. Um, well, I mean, that, uh, that's... I might agree if you say any mm. slasher protagonist. Yeah, true, yeah. But slasher, I, yeah. I, I, I don't hold that people have to be kind of stupid to set up a horror no, situation. But, I do, but, you know, it's clearly part of her character that she's deliberately... Um, like, you know, when Don Blesner's says to her, please be sensible. And yeah. she says, I'm never sensible if I can help it. Yeah. She even kind of knows. Yeah, um, she knows. She's she's, um, put, she's almost putting it on, I think. Uh, it reminds me a little bit of... Um, I'm going to go back to comics again. Uh, mm. Sorry, sorry, listeners. Mm. Uh, so I, 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 it comes to... What comes to mind is uh, Mary Jane from Spider-Man. She is this... Uh, her home life is very kind of serious. She's got, you know, an abusive father and, you know, really horrible kind of home life. However, when she's out and about, she's got this kind of party girl persona and she she has to do that to, to deal with all that stress and bother. She has to put on this like, everything's fine, everything's great, I'm having a great time, let's party, let's go dancing, let's do this. And I feel like that's a little bit with, with her, uh, with Tina, but I don't think there was enough of those serious moments no. throughout, littered throughout the film yeah, to you, make me believe that. You're right, there's a hint that maybe her... Um her behaviour could be covering up some kind of damage yeah. but we, we don't find out enough about her to, to make a, a real decision about mm. that but she does have a, a significant character change at the, towards the end mm. she does sacrifice her own life to save yes she, she does, does. Yeah. it's as if this goofy wacky character does the right thing yeah. Yeah. but then she just gets murdered and it's like well not just casually murdered and yeah. so, then so why, why, just, why set all this up yeah, why, it's, you know I, d- I think it was a rushed film. I yeah. think that's purely what it is. It's been rushed. Writing has been rushed. Direction. You know, the whole the whole process has been rushed and they've literally just gone... They've thrown something at the wall and just mm. seen what's stuck. Yeah. Mm. And I think some of it sticks very well, like we discussed, and a lot of it doesn't. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think... It, yeah. Some of it's not thought through enough, I yeah. think. And there's some interesting... I can see what they're trying to do, mm. but they don't quite, it doesn't quite come yeah. off. Uh, another another thing that made me think of uh, reminiscent of Friday the Thirteenth was the the love scene in the barn, which um, which is funny funny to me because 
he gets out this he gets out this condom to use in, during the love scene, and then all of a sudden he's already like he he's mounted her, and he's he's halfway through, and I was like I was like there's there's not even that like, awkward insertion moment or anything like that. It's just like and he's just it's just going like a jackrabbit, and I was like actually if I was a teenager. Yeah, probably. I'd probably go at it like a jackrabbit as well. <laughs> but it just made me laugh how quick it was. There was no like transition. Like all of a sudden, he's just straight into it. But um, the death scene of Spitz and the girlfriend. Uh, I read actually that the the girl that Tina was originally supposed to be dressed as the devil. Oh, right. For Halloween, but she she said it, it wouldn't work with her being the protagonist. She didn't want it to seem that she was. She is kind of though. She doesn't. She have like a trident. I think she has like a, a stick. Yeah. I think she's she's in a kind of like almost like a Phantom of the Opera type. Oh yeah, that's right. Get up. Um, but yeah, she, they made the other girl, who you know has oh, sex yeah. in the film. She's very attractive. She's, yeah, very attractive. She's very attractive. She's very attractive. So. Um, that's a recurrent theme in this podcast series. <laughs> well, that's I mean, <laughs> I mean, that's who you'd want to cast conventionally attractive women. I don't know. I'm just saying she's an attractive woman. Uh, no, I'm, I'm, I think that's Mustafa Ricard. <laughs> I blame I blame Mustafa Ricard for all this. I'm all just, these attractive women. I'm just saying that the, the, the makers of these films obviously were aware that there's lots of people like us in the audience, yeah. and they. Well, pitching towards us. Well, I mean, that's that's what they were made for. These films were made for like date movies, and you know, mm. and they're supposed to conjure up those kind of like fear and sex go together. Apparently, I'm sure women <laughs> in the audience find Donald Pleasant and Carmen Filpi very attractive. Very pleasant, yeah. <laughs> Donald Pleasant. <laughs> um, oh but yeah, there's a scene. Sorry, there's a I've gone off track a bit, but there's a scene where like they're having sex, and Michael uses the uh, pitchfork, stabs, stab, uh, fits or spits or whatever his name is. Uh, and he dies uh, and there's a very similar scene in one of the Friday the 13th movies I can't remember which one but it's a, I think it's a pitchfork or something but instead of killing one of them he kills both of them he goes right. through both of the bodies and kills them both in the uh, in the uh, in the rapture of their love making yes oh Jason what do you like um, so yeah that, that kind of um, reminded me and again the tone is very similar to those movies and I think probably they did have an influence because um, they were made those, those Friday the 13th movies were made quite quickly as well a lot of them were like a year apart if, oh yeah one that, a year yeah, yeah one, almost one a year so I think maybe that's where they kind of went right how did they make these yeah I think there is definitely a Friday the 13th influence in, yeah. in these sequels um, rather than you know the way around the, yeah. just the way the characters are and the way the films look yeah. and even Michael Myers is kind of becoming like Jason hmm. this yeah. big hulking yeah. robotic rather than the supernatural serious yeah. supernatural figure he was uh, yeah and they were a lot of fun. I mean, they were hmm. one every year yeah, yeah I think right, so yeah. Yeah. and so that would be a big thing, and so you know. Yeah. So of, by the time this movie was made, Jason was bigger in the public consciousness. I think he was, than yeah. Michael, yeah. So, and so that influence was there. Freddy as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I think they were both making more money than the mm. Halloween franchise. I think at the time. By the so, point, yeah. so they probably went, "We need that kind of money, so we need to up the gore, or up this, or do that, or do this," mm. and that's why we get this film. I think. <laughs> Something I think is worth commenting on uh, with this movie is the title sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, all the Halloween films up to this point have had uh, a pumpkin title sequence. The first two movies have this definite zoom into a pumpkin during the credits. Mm-hmm. The third one has a kind of digital pumpkin appearing. 
Um, the fourth one doesn't have a pumpkin like that, but it kind of has a credit sequence in like a field of pumpkins. Yeah, um, then in this sequence, we have a like, muted atonal music and uh, weird slashing noises and, mm. and oh, flashes. Yeah, yeah, so it's like shh, shh, shh. Yeah, yeah and, and, and I think it's quite effective. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, and, and it kind of make the words kind of appear with like a flash of a knife and things. Yeah. But then towards the end of the sequence, you kind of, there's you see more and there's more of a reveal and eventually mm. you, you'd realise that you've been watching a pumpkin being cut open but from the inside of the pumpkin, I think that's what it is. Yeah. So, you know, like someone's so, cutting their way out. Yeah. So, but you get the face. You finally have the reveal of, of the of the face, and the theme tune kind of comes yeah. in at that point as well. That's, yeah, you're right. That was quite an effective um, opening. Yeah. I think. I, th- I think so. I mean, I think it's like perhaps it, like the, a lot of the movie itself. It's kind of effective and also a bit daft. Yeah. It's like, you yeah. know, if you, you're seeing all, all these nice, slashing, choreographed mm. kind of hints of violence yeah. and then realise it's actually a pumpkin. Yeah. And that's a kind of Hitchcocky and joke, yeah, I suppose. Kind of, yeah. But it's also just you think something, silly. Yeah. It's kind of, it's the wrong way around. Yeah. To start off with something innocent and go into something dark. Mm. Um, yeah. But... Well, I, th- I think the, those other openings are, like we said before, they're, you know, quote-unquote boring, like mm. slow, steady. Mm. And I think, like we said, we've had a lot of, like we said, the Friday the 13th influence on it um, has gone, right, this is going to be about slashing and mm. killing and bloodletting. Mm. You know, so... <laughs> you know, all this. Um, so that's probably what they were trying to avoid because... I probably, I think tastes have changed by that time. Probably mm. when it comes to slasher movies, they can't, people can't sit around and wait for Michael to appear and then, you know, appear for the first, you know, ten minute, ten, you know, hour of the film and not really kill anybody. Mm. So, like, I think most of these Friday the Thirteenth films will open with a death. I think the first one. Well, opened with the death. one of the Friday the Thirteenth might be fine. It's it's yeah. the one where it's not Jason, it's somebody else. Oh yeah, the, the replacement. Yeah, something. yeah. And what I read on IMDb about that is that the producers insisted that there were two murders every eight minutes. So they keep introducing like two characters, like yeah. a couple or yeah. two guys in a car. Very quickly. Or There's like one and scene. just to get killed off. Yeah. And I think, well, if that's where slasher movies are, you've got to kill that many people yeah. off. There's about 20 people killed no, in the space of a 90 minute film. Then that's inevitably going to affect the other slasher film. Exactly, now, there were yeah. so many slasher films made in the early 80s. There mm. was a real absolute gamut yeah, of them. Uh, and I saw by the time this film is made in 1989, the, mm. the genre has kind of burned itself out a little bit. It's a bit mm. old hat. Other kind of films have come along. Mm. And certainly, and one thing about Halloween 4 and certainly 5 is that this film doesn't seem like Halloween to me. It doesn't, yeah. it, it's got nothing really from, stylistically, tonally. As opposed to 4. I think 4 has, to a certain extent. There are little bits, like the scene in the car and stuff, but it just, it doesn't quite, it seems to have moved a long way from Halloween. I like all the stuff on the, you yeah. know, the, the, the killing where he goes to the party and then the, the barn, yeah. Yeah. you know, that seems more like Friday the 13th. That yeah. seems like mm. where Friday the 13th yeah. films happen in yeah. barns. People are killed in barns. Mm. And, and or by the lake. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, and going outside more, yeah. going into fields Cabins and things. and stuff, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, there's more of a, I suppose as, as, the film, as the Halloween films go on and you explore a bit more of Haddonfield, there's more of a kind of rural feel to it. Yeah. I mean, it is supposed to be in the Midwest, isn't mm-hmm. it? So, so maybe that's... Obviously, the the first one was very much suburban. Yeah, you, you never really leave. They don't even think about Halloween. Most Halloween is just in two houses. That's yeah. what's so great about yeah. it. All it just takes a bit and the street in between. Mm. And every subsequent Halloween film has to 
have more, be bigger. Yeah. It takes place in a wider Which place. is always the sequel problem. Mm. And, and I think um, I think what this film shows uh, going forward, the series, as you suggested, Howard, it did have all these influences and competitions mm. upon it, Friday the 13th, whatever. And, it, and, it, and obviously there is the intent on the producer's part to want to make more and more of these films. So they had to develop a direction, mm. but they didn't really know what to do. And what they started to do was gesture at possible directions and see what might be mm. popular, mm. I think. And that's why you've got in this film things like they try to explain, uh, appeal to Michael, they reason with him, mm. there's, there's some dialogue about maybe his motivation a bit, but nothing really concrete. No. Nothing that they couldn't discard. No. But it's there for this one, and you know, and there are other things um, which may be picked up later as well. Um, you, you, um, you've mentioned the ending, Howard. Uh, and yes, I th- I think <laughs> I'm still recovering. Were you in the prison? <laughs> I think you might be aware of the circumstances that led to that. I no. Well, basically, because because the script was being rewritten as they shot it. Um, somebody decided that the film didn't have a strong enough narrative or there wasn't a, it wasn't building to the, a strong enough ending so they introduced this character of the man in black who mysteriously arrives in town and you Johnny Cash <laughs> <laughs> oh, if only it was it's, yeah it's, well it, kind of, it could have been done but um, and you just see his him walking around the town you see his kind of uh, cowboy boots with his clicking spurs as he was definitely right? Johnny Cash but there's absolutely no um, explanation of who he is mm. or what even what he's doing in the film yeah. until the ending mm. um, would either of you like to sum up the ending I'll let, well, I'll let Howard do well, no, yeah, well the ending is that uh, Michael Myers is finally locked away I think we all know that's not going to work you know he's going to he's escaped from about 15 asylums by this day, so a prison, you know. Oh, wait, well, I will just say before you go on, um, I do think the sequence leading up to that is quite suspensefully effective. It's when it comes down, again, a bit like Halloween 2, when it all kind of boils down to the, the kind of chase and the drama between the, the two or three main characters, when it's Loomis and Jamie and Michael in the house kind of trying to outsmart each other. Mm. It's quite tense and effective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is this is this the film with the the vent? Yes. Yeah, yeah. It is. Yeah, that's really good. I really like that moment. Um, yeah, and and the whole sequence with the um, the cop played by the character actor that you referred Troy to Evans. I think that's quite fun because um, he's there to protect Jamie, but then obviously Michael starts wiping out. Oh, he's, um, oh, I like him, yeah. Well, I think a bit where, where Donald Pleasant is whacking Michael with a plank of wood. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he set up this trap, and it is quite, that is quite disturbing when he's just holding up Jamie and saying, come on, come on, come on. Well, not only goes, <clears throat> this might be a moment for your impression, but he, 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 he kind of goes, come on, jeez, little girl. <laughs> <laughs> Deep down, you know she's going to be all right, and it yeah. But Loomis is so mad by this stage, yeah. you're not quite sure. It is quite unsettling. Yeah. Just it's, seeing it's, that. It's, it's, well, he, he, <clears throat> she's baked, isn't she? Yeah, yeah. She's, he makes well, her he's baked. Using her as yeah. baked. Mm. Well, at the start of the, the start of the film, we see him like shaking. He's, he's he only cares about her in regards to finding Michael or 
he's he's aware that she knows something about Michael. Michael's returning, and that's all he cares about. Like yeah. I said, he's this obsessive, obsessive mad drive to vanquish the evil that is Michael, which makes him less sympathetic. Yes, the way he treats Jane yeah. makes because in, in the fourth likeable. one, in the fourth one, he is very sympathetic. Yes, he's yeah, very yeah. likable. Like he's just, the scene yeah. in the car, yeah, the scene in the truck where yeah. he's talking to the guy. You, you know, but even in the house when he's in the house with everybody, they're, yeah. they're boarding themselves up. He's not a complete. No, no, you no. Know, he's, he's, he's sort a, of like. <laughs> I think well he's been burned so he's, yeah, you know, he's, he's, and he's, he's, he's sensitive to people but here he's just here he's, he's full uh, tilt he's mad quite unlikable um, yeah. sort of, um, but I, I do think that that gives Pleasance quite fun things to play oh yeah, 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 yeah. I, I think yeah. he's great like, when he when, when he and the cop and Jamie are trapped in that room hmm. and everyone else is dead I think the implication yeah. is and um, and uh, the cop wants to just get out of the house and Loomis goes Charlie Charlie <laughs> <laughs> And, and then sort of leans close to him and goes, Michael Myers is outside. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Anybody else would deliver that line that way? It would just sound ridiculous, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I know, because I just did it. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah, I, I think those scenes are quite There are enough good things in it. But the ending where... Well, following this, following the capture of Michael Myers, mm. you get the the ending that there's been kind of tacked on during production. Yeah, yeah. They obviously weren't building towards. Go on, how it tells. Yes, about. well, we've seen that. We've seen this guy in black all the way through, and then he's gone into the. And so uh, Daniel Harris and the cop, another cop, are sitting in a car, and suddenly there's noises and explosions and stuff going on, and he runs back in, and then she, for some reason, I would be running off in the other direction, but she, <laughs> sort of walks into the prison and all into the police station. Uh, and along the cells, and all the cops are dead. They've all been. I don't know whether the sheriff is dead. Is he supposed to be or not? I don't know. I can't see who the there bodies are. There is no. Even in the future movies and scripts and things, there, there, there isn't. I don't think there's a point where it's clarified. I think you could hit. There's a line of dialogue in six which could kind of hint. I think someone says when Ben Meeker was the sheriff here, oh, he yeah. got a lot more yeah. leeway. But so well, I think so he might have retired. That could be either way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. just have, yeah. So anyway, there's all these. He's not in the film. No, he's not in the film. Uh, and she walks in, and it's all smoke and fire and everything. And Michael Myers has gone from the cell, and she gets upset. Oh. <laughs> yeah. well, I, I liked no, it. I, was, uh, I liked it. <laughs> trying to murder me. It was a laugh. Oh, no, I always thought oh. that ending was just. Again, I think I don't know when when you make a film, you don't know if there's going to be another sequel after it, or no. most of the time you don't. So that was just if anybody wants to make a sequel yeah. in the future, there you are that can well, lead into it. But, but we don't know. I, I get the feeling that people making that film had no idea how that situation was going to be resolved or who the man in black yeah. was or anything. That's just they if just anybody wants to take over and do what yeah. you want, then there they we can, are. They can explain. We've that. given you that. Yeah. We've given you that character. That and it's kind of the definition of a Deus Ex Machina. Yeah. And he, he literally walks in from some other some from from God where we where. know not from some other movie. He comes in and kills everyone and rescues Michael for reasons we know not. Yeah. And that's the end of the movie. I do think that it's quite affecting that the last thing in the movie you see is the empty cell mm. and you hear Jamie just saying, no. Mm. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, well, it's, it's memorable in an entirely different way. Yeah. It's that kind of sobbing, no, kind of thing. And then black screen and the credits come up. Quite effective, I, I mm. think, as a moment, but... As a, it, as does, a it does it does smack of just 
slapdash end yeah. put on an ending. There's yeah, like, so it doesn't like just... we don't it, again we're not seeing we're not seeing the, the man in black's plan necessarily or they're not that clear about it and then all of a sudden what oh, yeah, oh, oh he's gone. Yeah and he, de- 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 he, he can take out an entire police station. Yeah. Is he the Terminator? Mm. And that's what, that's what I was thinking. Again, it's well, when you realise makes me feel spoilers that. in the next film who he is. Yeah, he yeah. does explain who he is. It's even more ridiculous yeah. that he's able yeah. to walk into a police station and kill everybody. Yeah, yeah. One, one of the things it's it's a little bit before the end. It's not. But well, they didn't know that. The no, they didn't know that. No, they didn't. I mean, well, I, that's I, the problem they've created yeah. for the next, the writer of the next yeah. film to solve. Like, that. And they're like, "Cheers, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that." Mm. Um, yeah, but, I mean, like I say, yeah, it was set up for the people making the next film, but it's such a contrived and bizarre yeah. thing to, yeah. to set up for the next. I, film. I, I feel like with that, that it's their their universe building, which is a big craze in films now. Nowadays, all about building a universe, but some things you can't really build a universe about, or yeah, I don't think yeah. they need to have a universe built around them. I think Michael is Michael; he kills mm. for killing, you know, whatever reason. He just he is that force of nature; he is that thing. You know, I don't necessarily think we need it explained, but whatever. Um, the bit the bit I wanted to go back to is just a bit before. It's kind of the part of the chase with Loomis and Jamie and Michael. Uh, when they end up in the attic and Jamie finds uh, Rachel strung mm-hmm. up she finds everybody Michael's killed strung up in that attic I don't think Michael would do that I, I don't that doesn't strike me as something that Michael would do well, well they're not strung up as a as a shock prank for no. someone to find they're no. just strung up as a kind of storage I think yeah <laughs> but even, even, but, even <laughs> but even then I kind of feel like that's a lot of effort for him to go to oh yeah but also just, why would yeah. he do it exactly yeah. that, but I, I think that I don't think there's an, enough kind of that's one of the conventions of slasher films which yeah. always annoys me you, you got I always have this image of Serial killers, Jason Webber, dragging a body along. Got to get it to this doorway yeah. so when somebody opens it, it'll fall out. It'll be a scare, yeah, it's worth a scare. You know, well, I know it's a shock moment, I know yeah. why it's there. I don't yeah, know exactly. It. But, but it always seems, more you say, the more ridiculous it is. And also, Rachel's death has no real... Yeah. The way it's done, I mean, yeah. it, it does because we really like the character. If you've seen yeah. the previous film, you really like yeah. Rachel. Mm. But in the film itself, it doesn't... Yeah. She's just it's not something, sitting there. It's, it's not something they hold on either. It's like, no. that's, that's the first body Jamie sees, and then there's another body, yeah. another body, yeah. another body. You know, it's not it, it's not effective no, in, in no, that I way. The other characters in the film are not aware that Rachel has been killed. They yeah. don't miss her. They don't wonder where don't she is. Don't talk about it, yeah. If Jamie hadn't opened that bit in the attic, she wouldn't even know. Yeah. Um, and actually, this brings us to a, a really interesting point, I think. Um I know I've discussed this with you in the past, Dan. Mm. You're talking, Howard, about kind of slasher movie cliches. Mm. One of the ones that really annoys me is uh, nobody knows that everybody's been killed until, like, the final girl. So you spend nearly an hour and a half watching people wander around not knowing that they're in danger. Each one dies, but nobody discovers that they've died, so they just carry on being oblivious. And then, finally, at the end... The final survivor finds some or maybe all of them dead, yeah. realizes what's going on, and then has a conversation. So you have like five, ten minutes of drama right at the end of the movie, yeah. and that's it. Yeah. Um, and Halloween Five is a little well, no, it's there's the, the 
because Loomis and Jamie both have like a strong idea that Michael is coming, there is there is a certain amount of drama. There there mm. is tension in the scenes where Tina's being stopped and they're trying to convince her and things like that. But there's quite a lot of the film where people are just not um, aware that there's a danger, and I just find it really annoying um, because mm. it's just they just because you know more than they do, yeah, exactly. they come across like idiots, and yeah. also because you don't care about them because yeah. they're very lightly sketched mm. or even annoying characters. Yeah. It's just tedious to watch, mm. but it did make me think. Hang on a minute, though. In Halloween one. None of them knew that there was a killer on the loose. Yeah, that's right. Until um, uh, Laurie walks into the house at the end and mm. finds Annie's body and um, Linda's body. That's the first point where it's all come together. Yeah. Up till that point, they've been completely oblivious the whole time. Yet the movie's not annoying and not boring. <laughs> I think, or rather, I mean, yeah. you've used the word boring in, in a particular way. Don't yeah, yeah, you? So yeah. I would say. Um, I'm using it in a pejorative sense, so let's say mm. uninteresting, yes, yeah. rather. Um, yeah. So, how do, why does that work in Halloween and not in later movies and other <laughs> movies? Like that? Is it just all about the well, characters guess, that you create? You I like? guess in the first one, Loomis knows, mm-hmm. the police know, the asylum knows, we know. Mm-hmm. So, there's not, they're not, not all of the characters are totally oblivious. Mm. Um, but in this, even Loomis isn't sure, and Jamie's not sure, mm. and the police aren't sure, and the young the young people in it definitely don't know, and they're even making jokes about it. They're even like, you know, where would mm. where would you buy a, a, if the pl- a serial killer was in your town? Where would you go to buy? Mm. You know, who would sell that that memorabilia? Yeah. Well, this is this is something else, but in in Halloween franchise yeah. world, is that Michael Myers has kind of become a celebrity? Yeah. Uh, and people you, you can buy and this is kind Boogie of the man. way through the, you can buy my in the Halloween world you can buy yeah. Michael Myers masks because mm. like you say the guy yeah. was playing a practical joke and he yeah. had one on so in the Halloween world it's like Michael Myers is, is, is he's commodified he's, he's, yeah. yeah he's a celebrity Celebrity's. and yet he's walking around the town yeah and nobody sees it you know mm. it's like I, I find that odd that he's, he's become nobody this find, kind of nobody, nobody finds it offensive either nobody's no, like no. nobody's like oh you kids having a prank no he killed my, my daughter the sheriff's like he killed my daughter why are you pulling this prank it's very very insensitive yeah, yeah. very insensitive thing to do um, it, it's bizarre again it's kind of like it, it's almost I think it's kind of like a self-aware joke or mm, comedy yeah, yeah. but it doesn't work yeah. No, I don't think. I, it just strikes me as odd because if Michael Myers was really serial killer, then I mean, when he escaped from Halloween Four, yeah. surely that would be I on mean, the front of all the newspapers in Haddonfield, and yeah. you know, everybody would be. You don't. If someone went round York, the Yorkshire Dales wearing a Peter Sutcliffe <laughs> mask, it would be in the news, and people would, yeah. you know, they'd put them away and say it was insensitive and stuff. So you know, how can you know people? Yeah, get away yeah. If, I mean, no. if, when you think it in those terms, I mean, you have to kind of make that suspension disbelief, yeah. don't you? Think, exactly. Yeah. Um, but if the kind of if you think about the things that happen yeah. in these films, then well, that's that's ridiculous. And, and how it's can a, you be in all these only, places? And it's only a year ago. Yeah. It's not even like you know twenty or thirty years mm. ago. It's last year. So mm, yeah. like they will know people who died. Yeah, they won't exactly. Be fr- yes. They will at least know. And you family. conveniently forget about the people. Yeah, and they're like, oh no, it's a joke now. Yeah, and also that just indicates there's a really bad bit of writing in the way that they've handled the character of Rachel not just mm. that they kill her off pointlessly yeah. 
but it's so pointless because she was leaving the film anyway. Mm. It's kind of part of the plot yeah. that she said to Jamie, I'm going away for two yeah. days to visit my parents, yeah. but I'll be back. So that's why nobody misses her when she's been killed. Mm. But why has Rachel chosen Halloween night to be away from Jamie? Mm. Yes, she's good point, good point, good point. People. Mm. When there's nobody else to look after her. And Tina, to me, Tina doesn't... Tina feels like a friend that accompanies Rachel to see Jamie, not someone who would go on her own to see Jamie. Mm. So that's Max of me, just... It doesn't seem sincere. Like, she's a... Sure, she's a friend, she knows, and she's friendly, but it doesn't seem like something she'd go out of her way to do yeah. on Halloween night yeah. when she's trying to meet up with a boyfriend and, you know... Uh, have sex and whatever they want to do on the Halloween night. It just seems odd to me. Mm. And then even when she does turn up, she's like, yeah, hey, Jamie, I've got to go, party, mm. you know, all that stuff. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I just think it's, po- it's poorly written. It's yeah. just a poorly and written. And the killing of Rachel, I, I assume it's supposed to be shocking, but it isn't because it's, she's killed in the same way everybody else is. Yeah. So it's, it's just another killing. Yeah. Mm. There's no kind of emotional impact to it. And, like, and she's, she's such a nice yeah. person. It's just, well, that's not shocking. That's just... And she spe- she spends so much of the last film fighting for her mm, life yeah. and being quite, you know... For me, I would think that those survival instincts would kick in again and she would kind of, like, shift back into those gears from the last film mm. and, you know, put up a bit more of a fight, personally. I know she's in a kind of vulnerable position where she... I think she's only got a towel on or something. Mm. Um, but I still feel like she'd at least, like, give him a good yeah, smack yeah. or something or push him or anything. But Let it be said for the record that Ellie Cornell, to her credit, did not like the script at all and did not want to do it. Mm. But ultimately... She's uh, if you on the documentary. She says they came to a compromise. Yeah. Basically, I think she got them to pay her more money. Yeah. So she did. It. Yeah. But it is a ridiculous thing. And she became a producer, Ellie Cornell. Yeah. She's a so. Oh, right. It's a happy ending. She, she, so she was like, I'm going to make sure none of these films are as bad as Halloween Five. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to know what she's uh, produced. Uh, yeah, that's great. I'll have to look it up. Good on her. So we talked for, amazingly, we talked for a full hour uh, about Halloween Five. Who'd have thought? I know, believe it or not. So, um, I think it's time True. to wrap this up. But I, well, I, I think I feel like I know Michael's rage now. I understand <laughs> Michael's rage after watching Halloween. Uh, you think destroying all the sequels will stop the rage? <laughs> <laughs> it won't. It won't. <laughs> because they'll just keep making more. <laughs> yeah, that, that is a fact. That Mike, is a Michael, fact. Michael will keep coming home. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gee. And I just wonder how it is you get into the Haddonfield Police Force. I mean, obviously the... Requirements are not very stringent. I, I, I'm more. Anybody. I'm more surprised that um, that Loomis is still a psychiatrist <laughs> after shaking a child vigorously uh, in this day and age. I, I just wonder why the hell nobody in Havenfield has noticed that the old Myers house has changed into a completely different <laughs> building. And also, what really disturbs me even more is why didn't I notice when I was 16 because I, honestly I just went with it yeah maybe, maybe it's been five films okay. to be fair, to be fair I, di- I didn't notice but I don't think I was paying that much attention Ooh. by that point right so weirdly it goes back to looking like what it did before in really? the next film yeah so I think that those are all the thoughts we can squeeze out of our yeah. brains on yeah no, I mean I, it's okay Daniel Harris is great Ellie Cornell's great yeah. Donald Pleasance is great there are some good moments in it yeah. some good suspenseful bits but it is just a sequel yeah. and it's not you're not missing anything yeah. if you don't watch it yeah 
I, no. the, the more you guys have spoken about the the aesthetic and the kind of cinematography and the look, I do think about it. I, I thinking back to Halloween Four, it, it does look better. It's a better shot film. It's a better looking film. And the more you've talked about, it, I've gone, yeah, actually, I do agree with that it does look. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a it's a much sharper produced and looking film as opposed to Four. However, I think Four is better. Cool. I th- no, I think I agree. Um, given that you just said that, Dan, mm-hmm. I'll just check what the budget for this particular Ooh. movie was. So I think we said... £20. Uh, <laughs> Halloween. I would have paid £20 to see it. I think we said Halloween for... By the way, I get all my information off the Internet Movie Database, so it's only so, as accurate as that website. That's usually fairly accurate. I think, according to this, Halloween 5 had a lower budget than 4. Really? 3 million as opposed to 5. And its US box office was nearly twelve million. So its its budget was lower and its profit margin was I suppose higher. no uh, I think it's probably about the same. Yeah, they cut yeah. the budget down. But they've made more. Yeah. Yeah. Um but it but that shows that they're on a trend now. Once you start doing that, once your profits go down in proportion to your budget, every mm. move you've got to be cheaper yeah. if you're gonna make a profit. Mm. So I'll, I'm gonna end on a positive note. Um Contrary to the tone that I think we may be getting to in, in this discussion, one thing that this movie does do, which is both bad and good and worth noting, is that you see Michael Myers' face. Okay. Um, I think it's bad because I don't think the face chosen is particularly interesting. It's just the face of the actor, stuntman Don Shanks, who played the shape in this movie, and the producers thought he kind of looked like he... He was a relative of Daniel Harris, so it would be good to have mm. his face and, and for yeah. him to say that all about you're just like me. Yeah. Um, but I, I, th- I think he's got too friendly a face, mm. um, and it, it's just it, it. I've always thought I, don't, I think he looks like he's got dark hair. I've always thought yeah. Michael was blonde. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, I do think it's good that they showed his face at all because most of the sequels have this thing where as that you can never take the mask off. Mm. Because it's like it ruins his mystique if you do. But his mask was removed at the end of the very first yeah, film. Yes, yeah. Yeah. That is a really important character yeah. reveal. And you need to do more with that in the following film, not step back mm. from it. So i you know, I, I give them credit for having done that, even if they didn't necessarily do it very well or mm. go anywhere with it. Yeah. I mean, it's weird that they took that step of actually having his face revealed, mm. but then when he's in prison at the end of the movie, they let him keep the mask <laughs> on. He's sitting there in his cell with the mask on. I thought it was just shadow. It's just keep his mask. They wouldn't let him keep. No, his it's mask you on. can definitely. I think it's he's, he's silhouetted, but you can tell it's the the, the mask. It's yeah. not his real face. No, because it just looks too kind of angular. Yeah. Um, so they would they wouldn't let him keep the mask on <laughs> no. real life no. nobody would I, I will say, I will say this though I was when I was a young lad I was a bright blonde boy looked like a little Nazi youth mm. very Aryan mm. um, my hair has got considerably darker yeah. and considerably less <laughs> uh, on my scalp so so uh, yes. things things change things change things that change. change that's a very good point Dan. Well, I think that concludes our ruminations on Halloween 5. Ruinations. Nope. Huh. The ruination of Michael Myers. Yeah. Thank you very much, Dan. Thank you very much, Howie. Thank you. Thank you very much, listeners. God bless you all. We will be back to explore the curse, or origin, if you will, of Michael Myers Ooh. next time. Welcome back, folks. Hello again, Kirsty and Stella. Welcome back. Hello. Hello. 
So um, it's time for our recommendations of the week. Who'd like to go first? Stella, after you. All right. Um, we well, volunteered you, Stella. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to recommend uh, another podcast. So just as rude as Kirsty is listening to other podcasts. Oh, no. Um, I'm going to recommend another one as well. Um, and I, d- I did start listening to it a while ago and then I forgot about it and then I have sort of brought it back a little bit because they're quite short um, and it's called Law. Oh, that's great. Right. It's good, isn't yeah. it? By Aaron, Aaron Mankey. Mankey. Mankey, Man- 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 yeah. yeah. Mankey. So, yeah, it's basically like... It's like campfire stories is the best way to describe it, I think. It's sort of history, folklore, historical events that show how grim... Well, how grim history is, because it's always grim, and how grim people can be. Um, but the most interesting thing about it, certainly from my point of view, is that it was taken up by Amazon Prime and made mm. into a TV show as well. So even if you're not a podcast person, but you're sure that you must be because you're listening to this. Anyway, <laughs> you can watch it. You can watch it on Amazon if you want to, if you prefer um, visuals with your story. Um, and it works quite well as an anthology sort of TV show as well. Yeah. So yeah, check it out. And okay. there's loads of episodes to get through. Um, so if you've got now to do over the continuation of lockdown and pandemic, then yeah, definitely recommend Law. Uh, I have um, I have listened to Law in the past. I've never seen the TV version. And Aaron Mankey does have a nice voice and a nice way of he telling does, his story. Yeah. Very soothing. So, um, yeah. There's a Halloween link as well, which just occurred to me, um, mm. which I'll mention, given the content of this episode. Um, so you've seen Halloween 2018, Stella, haven't you? Um, yes. Yeah, so there are two characters in that who are podcasters, um, mm. if you remember, and the, the guy is called Aaron Corey. I am absolutely right. certain that he's meant to be Aaron Mankey. Well, I mean, he's not meant to be right. him, but I think that I, no. I definitely think the they're pulling yeah, inspiration oh, right. from from that. So, um, oh, I'll think about that when I watch it again. Then, yeah, yeah. Um, interesting. I mean, its portrayal of podcasters is is not one of the areas in which that particular movie <laughs> is acclaimed. Um, uh, maybe it's a movie to watch if you hate podcasters. <laughs> Actually, for all the people that hate listening to this. Yes, exactly. Go, go and imagine that, that we are the two gits in Halloween 2018, <laughs> and you get that vicarious thrill. Um, so, anyway, um, oh no, nice one, Stella. Um, Kirsty, how about you? Well, I've got um, uh, two, well, they're kind of three, but they're linked. So, well, okay. they're not linked. There's <laughs> two, two themes. So, um, uh, It Chapter 2 has just arrived on Sky Cinema. Um, and so, mm. late to the party as ever, um, I, knowing that it was coming, I decided to um, to wait to watch It, um, the whatever, was it 2018 film? The, the original um, was 2017. Not- Oh, 2017. I was going to go 2017. I thought that was too... Yeah. Um, So I thought I'd I'd wait and do them as a double bill, Mm. um, Mm. uh, which I very much enjoyed, I have to say. It was a lot... Particularly the second one was a lot more funny than I was expecting. Okay. Um, But, you know, it's it's quite a commitment because sort of the combined running time is north of five hours. So it's, you know... Yeah, um, but you know, it was good. It was good. I enjoyed it, um, okay, and cool. yeah, so it made a good, nice, double, entertaining Saturday, Sunday night double bill. Um, and then, but my actual recommendation, which, I've, which has been brewing for a while, um, is I just finished on Netflix um, watching uh, Dark, which is not 
horror, but it has horror elements. Technically sci-fi, time troubly thing. Um, it's it's uh, Netflix's first German um, original. Oh, okay. And it's got three seasons. Um, and it's so good. Right. So well done. And it's very, it's very complex. It's one of those you can't sit. I mean, aside from being a German, it's not one you can sit on your phone and just kind of, you know, uh-huh. wash it over you. You have to pay attention. Um, and it's not something that often I find often is there is a need to comment on. But the casting mm. in the show across the three series is brilliant. Right. Um, for reasons that are important to the plot. So if you like kind of puzzle boxy, you know, kind of intellectual um, time travel adventures, um, if you go online, there are lots of charts and graphs to help (laughs) kind of make sense of it all. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Netflix keeps suggesting it to me and other people have suggested it to me as well. Yeah, it's really well done. Um, And the three series are sort of, three seasons are sort of distinctly different in terms of what they do for the story um and yeah so i was kind of waiting to finish it before i recommend it it just in case the ending was a bit of you know sure. game of thrones <laughs> um and it's not it's the ending does exactly what it needs to do and it's uh three seasons of just very well crafted um and compelling sci-fi with some occasionally uh, really uncomfortable elements okay great Cool. Um, I don't think I've heard of that one. Netflix mustn't be recommending it to me for some reason. Um, Netflix is wrong. (laughs) Have a word with Netflix, Dan. (laughs) Right. I'll go and find it. Um, Okay, nice. Um, Okay, so my recommendations for this week are two linked things, really. One of which is a podcast. So, um, you know, I'm I'm meeting all the the themes that we require this week, I think. (laughs) Um, So... Um, a couple of weeks ago, I made a recommendation on Amazon Prime that then disappeared. Um, so this time, I've made sure that the thing that I'm recommending has stayed there. Of course, between now and the time when we actually upload this episode, it might go. Who knows? But um, for the moment, as of, as of my speaking, it is there. And it's um, William Peter Blatty's 1980 film, The Ninth Configuration. So Blatty is the comedy writer who's career took a turn in the early 70s when he wrote and produced the novel then the film of the exorcist i was going to say right. <laughs> comedy writer yeah okay. he was a comedy writer <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah, yeah he just he only turned to horror because he couldn't get any more comedy sold i believe and he, he was just thinking god what what can i do um what else do, what else do i know about <laughs> apart from comedy uh catholicism uh, so an exorcism so yeah, yeah so, and anyway it worked for him and um as part of yeah. the deal i think after the exorcist 2 was made which he had nothing to do with and which was a financial and critical disaster um the it, it, the studio wanted him to produce a third film but his rider to do that was that he would also get to direct another movie that wasn't Exorcist-related, and that's The Ninth Configuration, which is completely bizarre, um, unusual, black comedy, psychological horror, sci-fi thing, um, okay. <laughs> part, mostly set in, uh, I want to say an asylum, but it's more like, it's a castle, that's used as a like a rehabilitation area for uh, war veterans and it has something to do with uh, space exploration as well 
Um, I've seen it. It's weird and hugely disturbing and <laughs> and kind of inexplicable. But it has a pretty great cast, including Stacey Keach and Jason Miller from The Exorcist and um, and Scott Wilson, um, Herschel from The Walking Dead. Um, oh. Um, and it's yeah, it's there at the moment. It's it. It has been quite rare, so I'd grab the chance to watch it while it's there. And also, and here's my linked thing, there's um, a really great American movie podcast called Movie Geeks United. And they've just, this week, which is what made me think of this movie, um, released a full-length interview with Stacey Keach, talking about his whole career, but, but touching on the ninth configuration in particular. Um, and he's a really interesting actor and screen presence i think um and you know it, it's really good to have that to compare that to this movie because it's one of those examples of um well it's one of those examples of a, a movie that could only be made in the context of the director having a deal like the one with the exorcist three where he's like yeah i'll make that but you have got to let me make whatever the hell i want as yeah. well and therefore he just kind of goes a bit bonkers but it's a really interesting and kind of chilling movie great use of music in it and some stunningly strange visuals kind of a little bit almost david lynchy it's got images in it that are kind of frightening and disturbing but you don't really know why um <laughs> so um yeah uh, that, so that's my recommendation oh. for the week the ninth oh, configuration that's... on um amazon prime so thank cool. you thanks yeah well, thank you guys yeah <laughs> yeah there's this there's gold in them that amazon prime if you know <laughs> how to dig um and yeah. you do have to dig sometimes, but it's there. The interface isn't great, is it? I don't think. It's not as easy to navigate as Netflix, I don't think. No. No. And it, Although it has, they have on the app recently uh, introduced oh. a little button where you can basically turn it on so that it'll only show you the stuff that is free for you to watch, which is oh. Oh, marvellous. Oh, yeah. yes, yes. I've noticed that. Yeah, because it is a bit misleading sometimes, isn't it? Yeah. You'll think something's yeah. there and then you sit down to watch it and it goes, £2.50, please. Yeah, no. like, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, that's a shame. They've also got the whole Cornetto trilogy on there. No, that's not horror. Well, it is. Well, well, the, well, the first one is. Well, <laughs> and, uh, and the third one is to some extent. So, yeah. uh, and they're all very, very violent. I mean, yeah, the non-horror one is the one in which somebody is killed by having a, a church spire drop on his head. <laughs> that oh, is, yeah, <laughs> that's true. And I suppose, it's, yeah, it's the non. So good. So, yeah, the non-horror one is also the one that references the Wicker Man quite heavily. So, that's true. is it really non-horror? Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's true. And yeah. the Omen. <laughs> so, um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, they're all on there, and I've been watching those last couple of weeks. So, um, and I was delighted to find them all there, and all for free. Well, hey, all free brilliant. to me or whatever. So, yeah. Well, folks, those are our recommendations for this week. Um, it only remains for us to talk about what's coming next week. And Kirsty, you did mention the Wicker Man. Um, yes, <laughs> that's a lovely, neat segue there. Nice. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I planned it like that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> entirely. I'm the editor. Um, so, so yeah, next week we're going to be. Well, would you, would you like to give us a quick preview of what we'll be talking about next week, Kirsty? 
Well, we'll be yeah. So next week is going to be a discussion around representations of um, witchcraft and paganism in the horror genre. So obviously, Wicker Man, we will be talking about um, also Midsummer, which I've got to watch and put my big girl pants on finally. That's fantastic. Um, and uh, yeah, and The Witch and many others probably in passing reference. Yes, <laughs> there's um, probably a, a near infinite number of films that we'll take yes. in. But those yeah. are the three movies that we'll probably focus on the most. Yeah. So that's fantastic. Yeah, looking forward to that already. That's going to yeah. be a great chat. Well, thank you very much, Kirsty. Thank you very much, Stella, for another week. Thank you. Um, thank you. I'll say thank you to Dan and Howard um, back in 2018. Thanks, guys! Whether, whether <laughs> they're aware, I, I, I don't know. Oh, I heard you. Um, <laughs> And uh, and yeah, we'll be back next week with um <laughs> hey, I was gonna say an orgy of paganism, but um no doubt. I'm not cleaning no. that up. No. <laughs> <laughs> um yes. Um a, a serious academic discussion of uh beggars. No, I've I have i dug myself. Not that either, in. no. No. Um, we'll just be back next week, all right. What do yeah, you want? <laughs> blood okay <laughs> right, thank you so much guys and thank you so much thank listeners. you um thank you right. you'll hear from us again bye 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 you have been listening to and now the podcast starts produced and released by ambidextrous solutions limited presented by kirsty warrow td velasquez stella gaynor and howard Whittock, with special guest Spider Dan. Special thanks to Greg Hume for our original theme music and to Brian Gorman for our original artwork. All dialogue and music clips from films, TV shows, and trailers are used for the purposes of criticism in the spirit of fair dealing as defined in UK law and fair use as defined in US law. No copyright infringement is intended. Please visit our home on the web www.andnowpodcast.com for more content and contact details. Or visit our Facebook pages at AndNowPod or at LeeCushingPod. Follow us on Twitter at AndNowPodcast or at LeeCushingPodcast. If you'd like to donate to us, please visit patreon.com forward slash AndNowPodcast. And now the podcast stops.